Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. You're, both of you guys just waved at the exact same time. Yeah, baby. <laughs> for a loop there. Uh, welcome for a Monday edition of the Mailbag. Uh, spring football is here this week. We just uh, were expecting the media advisory to give us the details of what all we get to do at practice later this week, sometime today. Uh, you both will be there. Uh, it's going to be an exciting time. We've got football back in the air. I know, and honestly, it, it's going to be a breath, <laughs> breath of fresh air because the basketball teams have been kind of depressing. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Matt and I have both been kind of like, oh, man, this has sort of been a drag, which, which is too bad because typically this is a little more fun going into March Madness. But, uh, yeah, football's back, and there's going to be – we're doing a full football show here, which is which is not unusual, but for a, a, a bag, it's kind of different than we've done recently. And – all football, all spring stuff, a couple questions at the end, making some predictions towards the season. But I'm I'm excited to talk football, like because it's actually kind of close to being a thing happening soon that's actual football, which has not been the case for months. <laughs> so should we jump in? Yeah, go for it. Let's all right. Ride. Let's ride. First one from at ZB Green. Which freshmen, including Redshirt and True, slated to be enrolled? Are you most looking forward to see play in the spring? Do you predict any to start in 2022? It's always fun looking back at predictions, i.e. Kingsley starting day one at Matt. Hashtag odds and audibles. I will, before we, I, I will say I was also in the Kingsley starting day one, so it's not just Matt. <laughs> um, we were both very wrong on that one. Um, I have a little bit of a course correction. Actually, I just wanted to say I have no true freshman in my two deep predictions, and I think I only have two redshirt freshmen, and one's Ty Thompson, and that was like almost out of – like, there's not really that many other options for that spot. Um, so, you know, to that question, like, I, I think it's possible someone starts. But right now I'm, I'm taking a little different approach because we picked Kingsley. We've picked other freshmen in the past. And, like, sometimes it just doesn't happen. So, um, and, and frankly, I'll be honest, looking at this, this class, because it's a little smaller and, and kind of fell apart at the end, there's, like, kind of not as many really good candidates to start. Um, in terms of guys I'm most excited to see – um, early. Uh, how about Julio Florence? I know we'll be here. I think that's mm -hmm. that's a name I'm excited about. Um, Justice Lowe is a name I'm excited about in part because he's local, but also because I think they need help him. So there, there's a couple of guys. Um, I think, you know, from a redshirt freshman perspective, there's probably a lot more in interesting answers. And, and what are we getting? Is Justin Flo in, in this group? Just, I mean, I, I don't know because he's been here two years, but I think he's technically a redshirt freshman because last year doesn't count. Um, what does Sean Dollars count as? Yeah, I was going to say he's like a fifth-year freshman. <laughs> I think. So, 
I mean, those guys, I feel like they're breaking the rules a little bit, but like, those are two guys that I'm excited to see. I wasn't going to say, I mean, like Sean and Justin both have a chance to play right away. Um, but like, I, I think there's probably, I'm probably more excited to see some of these true sophomores, if I'm completely honest, like the Troy Franklin's and Dante Thornton's of the, on the team, the Byron Cardwell's, um, you know, defensively and Avante Dickerson, who I think could be a candidate to be in the two deep um, guys like that almost kind of tickle my fancy, if you will, a little more than, than some of the freshmen, just because I think, um, I think there's, I don't know, I don't know how many of these two freshmen are going to like really, really have a shot to play right away. And the red shirt guys, I probably feel similar about for the most part, like this, I feel like the 2021 class is really strong. And we saw mm-hmm. most of the top guys, but like Jeffrey Boss is like right at the top. Go ahead, Jeff, Matt. It's not really a good idea if every single season you have a bunch of freshmen coming in and just starting and, and playing major minutes. It, it, it's always helpful if you've got a handful, because um, that means you are recruiting at a high level and you are bringing in talented players. But I don't think it's a good sign of your program if year over year, you have just a bunch of freshmen, true freshmen, starting or, or taking snaps because that means your development isn't very good. Um, they certainly can play, but you don't want a situation where every single year you have a ton of freshmen having to play. But guys I wrote down, you named a couple of them, Florence and Lowe. I, I'm curious about Lowe just because he blew up in the second half of the recruiting period, like Florida – Utah, Notre Dame, Oregon, USC, all these schools offered him. And so just getting a good feel of just what what presented uh, an offer from those programs into low. Not that I'm doubting him uh, as a player, but those are big schools. And to get him is a, is a pretty big deal. I also wrote down Devin Jackson just because – his speed and his size. I'm just curious of how he fits. Is he going to be similar to a Jeffrey Bossa, you know, that can play multiple positions? I'm not saying Devin Jackson is going to be a safety, but just that seems like a similar player to me. Um, and then the red shirts, I wrote down a couple as well. You mentioned Ty Thompson, Isaiah Bravard, um, big time player. It's going to have his opportunity to play this season. And then one that isn't necessarily redshirt, but I think could maybe have a bigger year is Brandon Buckner. Um, was really good the first couple of games when they needed him to play because of injuries and just, they didn't have enough bodies. Yeah. And then he ended up being on special teams the rest of the year. Um, just the lowest rated guy in that 2022 class. He was really outstanding in a, in a specialist type role against Ohio State. Um, what can he do in year two? Those are some good names. Um, I don't necessarily anticipate any of the 2022 freshmen to be starters. Um, I, I, I think it's good for a program when you have players that are capable of starting as true freshmen. This means that they're pretty damn good in their own right, unless you are, you know, you're kind of like an Oregon situation last year where you have to have Keith Brown or someone like that start due to injury. But um, just players I'm really looking forward to watching in the spring. Definitely Devin Jackson for all the reasons that Matt mentioned. Um, you know, highest rated recruit in this cycle. Um, definitely a linebacker who could take over for, uh, you know, obviously when Noah Sewell and Justin Flo leave, which probably happens after this year for their third year eligibility. Um, I just want to see what you have laying in the wings behind them. Um, and I think Devin Jackson's going to be one of those guys. You just watch his tape. He's electric. He's a hard playmaker, great tackler in open space. Um, 
interested to watch Dave Ayuli just to see what his what he's going on with. Um, yeah. And the, honestly, the offensive line in general. Um, obviously, the two Jaleels, Jaleel Tucker, Jaleel Florence, ultimately, you know, just kind of watching them going out, going about their business. Um, and then lastly, uh, Anthony Jones, just someone who I'm looking forward to seeing because I think of maybe except for the two Jaleels, I think Jones has the quickest path to potential playing time just because of his size and his speed. Oregon's edge rushers, I know there's probably a clear one or two or three in the depth chart, but after that, you know, there's not anybody who's really separated themselves. And Jones, as an early enrollee, um, I think it's somebody who in the weight room can add, you know, can cut down on, on bad weight and gain good weight, you know, work on his speed and his athleticism and his techniques with the staff. I think he could be somebody who could maybe make some sort of an impact early on just because of it's, uh, you know, he's listed at like 6'5", 242. It's a big kid coming out of high school. Um, but a redshirt freshman, I'm with you, Matt, with Isaiah Bravard. Um, I think he's just going to have to have a bigger role this year because of the limited amount of depth. Um, you know, for another four-star talent coming out of high school. So I, I'm looking forward to see how he's improved in the offseason, the weight that he's added. Um, it should be fun to just watch all of them, honestly, and get back to football. I'm going to throw out Keith Brown as a name, who's I know he's not technically a freshman right now because he didn't he didn't redshirt a year ago, but I feel like we really didn't get to see. And I know I mentioned this on our linebacker podcast. I feel like we didn't get to see him at full strength because of first I think it was a hamstring for most of the season he was dealing with. Um, maybe it was groin. It was something. It was it was like an upper leg injury, and and I just like there was some real promise that early. I was a big fan of his coming out of high school. Saw, saw him play a couple times. Um, I think there's some. I think there's more there, and I think this could be a, a good spring to see that, depending upon where he's at from a health perspective. And that's another thing. Like just going into this, I know I, a little bit of a off topic, but I'm curious just to see general health because there are several guys, like a ton of guys who yeah. were out for almost all of last season or the last half of last season. Like who's actually available is is a big question I have. So you know, day one, I, I think we'll be able to watch practice. Jared and I'll be out there. Just the injury group, who's with that group, and kind of the prospectus for who can actually do much this spring, because that'll impact not a ton necessarily for fall, because I think almost everybody should be back by then. But in terms of just getting a hierarchy and idea where things stand, that'll be significant. All right, second one from at High Flying Ducks. Lots of questions still left to be answered about who this team is in 2022, and likely we won't have answers until after the spring. What is one area that we know is solid? And he goes, don't say offensive line. That's too obvious. Hashtag audibles. I, I agree. That would have been a very easy answer for us all to give. And I think we probably would have all started there maybe. Um, I'm going to go just like straight up Dan Laning and the front seven and the line, the linebackers in particular. Um, Noah Sewell is really, really, really good and really talented. And he's probably one of three or four guys there that I'm like, just really, I think will be that are really big contributors and could be all conference caliber guys. Like we all know about Justin Flo, seeing him fully healthy. Like, I think it's assuming that happens. And I think we should all be like knocking on every piece of wood in our collective apartment <laughs> because that's just been impossible the last two years, unfortunately. But if he's fully able to go, like, I, I think those two guys could be freakish. And it, I'm not, I'm not going to suggest it will be an improvement from a talent perspective of what he had at Georgia, but it will probably be closer than what some people think, just those two in particular, because yeah. those are five-star talents who are incredible athletes and, and have potential to be, I think, first, second round 
third round draft picks potentially, depending on how things develop in 2022. And those are the last seasons. Um, so I feel really good about those two and kind of that group. And again, I mentioned Keith Brown is someone I'm excited to see. Jackson LaDuke, where is Jeffrey Boss? So like, I just think the inside group, strangely, I know it was dinged up so much last year that it was really a weakness. I think that should be probably one of the biggest strengths on this team. So I'll say that. And I'll also mention, like, I think Braden Swinson is somebody who could really take a big step. And that could be another name here to know. I, I just think that second level on defense is probably where I'm like, I think they're going to be really good. I also picked um, the linebackers because Noah Sewell, Jeffrey Bossa, Mace Foon, and Braden Swinson. If you were to tell any person that covers a team in the Pac-12, um, especially S3, uh, th- that that's Oregon's starting linebacker crew. I, I think everyone here would, would probably say it's going to be one of the better units in the conference. Um and we're, we haven't even brought up the fact that Justin Flo is on the team as well. And if he's healthy, you throw him into that mix with the five. Um, and then you've got Adrian Jackson, Trevin Mai, Keith Brown, Jackson LaDuke, the two freshmen and Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart. I just feel like out of that next tier, you know, two or three guys will emerge to be key guys off the bench for you. Um, Flo stays healthy. And now all of a sudden – we're talking about from just a pure talent standpoint, this, this group is loaded. I mean, they, they could have three or four, five NFL players, you know, at different parts of the draft in different years on this team. Um, I, I think it's the linebackers. Yeah. I think after offensive line, it has to be linebackers or interior defensive linemen. Um, just because of the depth that's been accumulated there and the talent in terms of the depth that's been accumulated there. You know, obviously you go through the star power with Flo and Sewell and, you know, from early indications, it does seem like Justin Flo should be healthy. I've seen him walking around at the HTC during baseball media availability and he looks healthy. He looks like he's there and is in peak physical conditioning. So, it's a good sign. I mean, obviously, we'll we'll see come you know spring camp. But um, if those two are healthy, those are the you know those could potentially be the best linebacking duo in the Pac-12. I think pretty easily um, in the country. You know, you'll have to get there. But and I couldn't list you other linebacking duos off the top of my head. But it, it'll be pretty damn good. You know, we. But like Eric said, we should be all knocking on our pieces of wood around our entire apartments or houses and just. Pray to God that Justin Flo stays healthy for more than, you know, three quarters. Um, I, it's a really talented group. And Eric, I like your comparison of how it'll be like how Georgia ran its defense. Because um, Oregon's got some dudes. They got some athletes. They're not like Georgia's athletes. I just watched like the whole entire NFL combine and watched all those guys run. Oregon doesn't have those players. They might be coming, though. This might be the the philosophy that Dan Lanning is bringing to Oregon, and it's led by this first year of insane linebacking depth that they already have. And adding, you know, Devin Jackson and Harrison Taggart, who are two good linebacking prospects, Jackson we just talked about, but also filling up with Keith Brown and Jackson LaDuke and potentially Jeffrey Bassa. I think he's I think he'll probably go back to safety, but still he's shown enough promise at linebacker to you know, that he can play the position as a safety. He can play that position. So I think it's easily the linebacking core who is 
the next up in line. Um, I think there's a lot of talent all over the field for Oregon, but this is this and the offensive line is one of the few positions that also bring the depth part to it. So you look at wide receiver and you have a lot of a lot of talent there, but there's not a lot of depth. You look at cornerback, there's a lot of potential, maybe a lot of talent, but there's not a lot of depth. That's kind of the story that it is with Oregon as of right now. But linebacking is a is the second best combination of depth plus talent plus you know, interchangeable pieces. And I'd argue the talent might be better at the top end at linebacker than offensive line. It's just offensive yeah. line, you have to feel more confident with the starters coming back. And, and I, I just, we mentioned it a little bit, but it's not just the personnel. I think it's the fact that Dan Lanning and his track record coaching linebackers and developing that right. position yeah. group and utilizing those are, those are his babies. Yeah. Yeah. And that looks pretty good. Tosh Lupoy also working up there, you know, kind of in that general, he's coaching the outside guys. So like there, there are high end coaches also leading these position groups. And so I think you should have the utmost confidence in that group. And I think there's a chance that this could be, you know, they could have multiple all-conference guys and really if Flo and Sewell are both healthy and able to go all year, like you could have two borderline All-Americans possibly. Like that's that's the ceiling. And that was the expectation and hope when these guys signed a couple of years ago. Sewell's been able to show he can do that for two years. Flo just hasn't been able to get healthy. So those mm-hmm. listening, yeah, maybe also we should all be knocking on wood. Um, all right, third one from at Skoducks for Life. Under the radar player for offense and defense, a player nobody is really talking about and has star potential. Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, I wanted to bend the star potential and talk about guys who might play the star position, but that I think, <laughs> Come on I think Trikas Bridges has a real chance. He's got real star potential. Um, I think, okay, offensively, and, and it's hard because nobody's really talking about, like, that's probably a little subjective, but, like, the first name that came to mind for me offensively is is Dante Thornton, and I know people are talking about him, but, like, I think he has star potential. Like, I think he could be a really, really good player. Um, are people not talking about him? I, I don't know. I think we've talked about him a lot. Like, we've talked about everybody, though, is the hard part. We do podcasts. We talk about everyone on the team, so I don't know who, like, collectively isn't being talked about. Um you know, I get, and I guess if we're going, if we're going guys that are like not being talked about, I don't really know if even know like what classification that is on the roster. To be totally honest, I'll be curious to see who you guys think aren't being talked about. Um, but like, if it's not, if that, if Dante Thornton is too much of a, he's being talked about too much because I do have him in my, like I'm projecting he probably starts or at least has a chance to. Um, like maybe it is in a Isaiah Brevard potentially. Like I, I'm really high on his physical attributes and maybe with the right position coach and the right development he takes a really big step and is more than just a guy who's battling for the a second string spot maybe he's actually a guy who can push to start like i'm probably i'm much less confident on him being a star and being a star in 22 than i am dante thornton but if thornton doesn't qualify because he's quote unquote being talked about too much then then okay we'll go braveheart um defensively i i, I really i really like avante dickerson i i and I don't know if he's got superstar star potential, like, but this was a guy who was a really big time recruit who I don't think people are talking about a lot. I think a lot of folks, myself included, get excited by Jaleel Tucker and Jaleel Florence for right good reason. They were both high, highly mm-hmm. regarded recruits. I think Dickerson flies a little under the radar, and I think he has like a real shot to be in contention at least to be in that too deep and maybe to start. I don't again. I don't know if it's in twenty twenty two. I would be stunned if he's like sniffing all conference, but. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays a lot and people are really impressed. And I think he definitely qualifies for an under the radar. Um, 
by the way, is Dante Thornton? Is that like am I, am I cheating with that answer, guys? Is that too? Is he too highly regarded to be a nobody talking about guy? If that's cheating, I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, I like the pick. <laughs> okay. All right, Matt, Matt, go ahead. Tell me why you're screwed then. Um, because I took it as no one is talking about is from a national or conference perspective and not an Oregon perspective. And I picked my first guy was Chris Hudson um, because the question was who could become a superstar. And yeah. I think Hudson is going to be the front runner to be the first duck since Dylan Mitchell in 2018 to – maybe flirt with a thousand yards receiving. Um, he's also going to be the first duck, I think, since Dylan Mitchell in 2018 to flirt with 60 or more catches. I mean, think about the lack of star power we've had at Oregon at the receiver position from a production standpoint. Um, Mitchell is the last receiver to hit 60 receptions or a thousand yards. And then to find the next guy, you have to go to 2015 when Byron Marshall hit a thousand uh, excuse me, that was in 14. And then the year before that, uh, a year after that, excuse me, Brian Addison, he went for over 60 receptions um, with 63 in 2015. So I, I think Hudson has an opportunity to, to finish with 60 receptions. And I don't necessarily expect him to hit a thousand yards, but he's going to be in that kind of ballpark, you know, a little under, a little, little over. Um, and I, I think he's going to be a, a guy that could be a, a top six or seven receptions, receiving yards guy in the conference. So that would be, in my eyes, a, a superstar receiver in the Pac-12, an all uh, first, second, or third team all-league player. Um, and then defensively, I picked Keon Ware-Hudson. Um, fourth year in the program, he played in 10 games last year, but he, he something clicked for him midway through the year against Arizona, Stanford, and Cal at, as a defensive tackle, which is, this is impressive. Three, he had seven total tackles, three tackles for loss, one sack, four quarterback hurries, and one pass breakup. Um, he then played the next week against UCLA. I think he suffered an injury in that game. And then three mm-hmm. games later, his season was done. Um, I, I truly think Keon could push his way back into the starting lineup and be a guy at the end of the year that goes pro. I like those picks. I see why you would go with Hudson. Uh, it's just like, I feel like Oregon's offense is talked about as a whole, not exactly individually. Um, and then Hudson or Keon Ware was a good one as well. Um, for offense, I kind of was stuck between a Sean Dollars and a Seven McGee type, just because I feel like uh, the star potential is there because their ability to catch balls out of the backfield, more so than it is to be an every down back. Um, I think Byron Cardwell, we've talked about this on our running back podcast, but I think Byron Cardwell is your number one guy. I think he is your, you know, your three down every day back. Um, but there's something about Sean Dollars and Seven McGee and their ability to potentially break one off and get like that 40, 50 yarder. I think it's more so Seven McGee could be the star guy because, you know, with his speed and his versatility <laughs> and his instincts and his lateral mobility, all the good stuff, he could go viral. And I guess that's kind of what I was thinking about in terms of a star player is who could go viral the most and whose name could pop up and be, you know, at the same level as Oregon. When you think a national broadcast thinks Oregon, they think of player X. And there's a part of seven McGee to me that 
could do that. It could just because of the name too. That's a name you're not really going to forget if you hear it once or twice. Um, and the big playability. Defensively, this was a tough one because I, I feel like the stars for Oregon are already stars. Um, Braden Swinson came to mind if he could have a really big impact here. Um, but I'm going to push my chips in on Dante Manning. I'm, I'm putting them in. I just think it's going to click. I think it's going to click. He's going to figure it out. You know, another cornerback coach coming in, Demetrius Martin. I'm putting my chips in on the table that just on a whim that I think it's going to click with Dante Manning. He is going to combine his natural God-given athleticism, which is, makes him a, a five-star recruit, and technique and fundamentals, and you're going to get uh, a guy who can seize the potential every day or every down, excuse me, lockdown corner that this Oregon team is missing lining up on the other side of Christian Gonzalez. That's such a good pick, Jared. I'm kind of jealous of it. I wish I would have said that for mm. the exact reasons you said, because it's like he's a five-star guy who I think people are talking about less and less because he hasn't exploded. And for, for Flo's right. Flo, same class as Flo, but Flo's been hurt. There's been that kind of built-in excuse. I know Manning was out in 20 with a hamstring injury himself. Um, so, like, he missed that year. But, like, I think people have kind of cooled on Dante. And, like, I'm not surprised that – I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ends up emerging as and kind of go-to corner. The thing is, quarterback is a damn hard position. That's why when you see, like, a really good quarterback in college from Alabama or Ohio State, whoever it is, those are top ten draft picks for a reason because those people don't come around often. And for Manning to kind of just, like, not be talked about because he's had, he didn't have a great – a great season in 2021 and was hurt in 2020. There's no reason to believe that he can't figure it all out. You know, he's still, he's going to be a junior or I guess a sophomore with COVID rules. But if he, again, he was a five-star for a reason. You know, I'll say that about any, any guy who's like that four or five-star, there's a chance that things click and they're rated that level because if things do click like they did at the high school level, they could be a five-star product on the field at the collegiate level. Good, good selections there. I, that, I'm with Eric. Um, Manning is a good selection and one that could be a guy that's off to the NFL if he has a really good season. It wouldn't surprise me if, if he's one and done. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the mailbag here on the Austin Audible's podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right, welcome back to the Yachts and Audible's podcast. Uh, three questions in. We've got a couple more to go. Let's let's dive right into them. Yeah, all right. From at Nash underscore Duckaneer, Jared said that we could ask for way too early predictions again around this time. So, and he used like five O's. What are your way too early predictions for this year's football team? I think he's talking win-loss record is my understanding. And he said also he wanted to give Jared a compliment, which is nice because we don't necessarily always get those. Also, Jared, you, you <laughs> genuinely do a great job pronouncing Murfreesboro. Signed, a Tennessee Duck fan. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. So, Jared, there's some Jordan James is, is a hometown. We've been questioning if we were getting it right. It sounds like, based upon Nash's response, we have. Jared, I'm going to throw it right to you. Um, I've actually I've actually made predictions. I'll kind of recap what I've said, but this is apparently you, – you've, you've made a promise, a pledge to, to do this. Uh, what, what do you got? I uh, apparently have made a promise. I uh, must say I don't remember this. So, Nash Duckaneer, um, props to you for remembering that I made this promise probably months ago when the schedule was released. Um, I don't know. I you know I still kind of feel funny about about making predictions at this point, just because the team still isn't one hundred percent settled. But I, I'll do it. It's a tough schedule right out the slate with Georgia and BYU. Um, I kind of look at those games as as at least one 100% loss to Georgia. And I just think that Oregon is just going to be outmatched. Um, I know Georgia loses a lot on their defense from this 2022 NFL draft. But other than that, um, they return a bunch of talent. Obviously, they lose Dan Lanning, but I don't think that's going to be as big of a problem as some people might think it is. Um, schools like Georgia and Bama kind of go through these coordinator losses all the time, and then just pick up on off their you know off the foot that they left on, and they're just fine. It's like how Alabama loses uh, Steve Sarkeesian to Texas and gets Bill O'Brien, and they go to the national championship game. Yeah, that's kind of how those football programs works. So I think I'm going to have two losses there for Oregon right out of the gate with Georgia and BYU. Uh, other losses, I've got four total. So I think it'll be uh, an eight and four season for the Ducks. Um, I, I just think they're going to run into one one game on the road that's really going to be tough, whether it be Arizona, who's a, a, a better team in the desert, has never really been kind to Oregon on the road. Um, I think that's going to be a tough one. Um I, I think it's very beneficial that Oregon has UCLA and Washington and Utah at home this year because um, those are three of the harder games that they can have. It's a tough slate for Oregon this season, but they're tougher games I do think are at home with BYU too. Um, I think for the fourth and final loss, I could see it happening again early in the season with a game of Washington State. But I think Utah could could pull the trigger at home on Oregon and send them to their fourth loss. Matt, you weren't asked to do this exercise. Do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I, I do think they're going to lose to Georgia. Um, I do think between Eastern Washington, BYU, Washington State, Stanford, and Arizona, um, there's probably one more loss in, in that area. Um, it wouldn't surprise me here. Like, maybe I'm just – way high on Jed Fish in Arizona, but they had a really good offseason um, getting transfers, mm -hmm. getting high school guys. Um, that place, Tucson, is it's strange. We've seen good teams go down to Tucson and 
lose, and we've seen them barely get by against bad teams. And if that Arizona team, if they've got a couple wins under their belt going into that game, it's going to be an early October game. You know, the students will be probably pretty jumped and amped for that one. It, it could be more challenging than we maybe thought about earlier on uh, in this process. So I'd say there's two losses somewhere in there to start the year. And then I'm with Jared. Like, I think, I think Utah could maybe knock Oregon off. Um, I think Oregon state in Corvallis is going to be interesting. Um, I, I, I think Oregon's probably worst case is they probably go eight and four. Um, I think their best case is they're probably 10 and two. Yeah, I, I, I split the difference with there, Matt. I, I actually did this exercise and published it, which might have been a mistake. I did it on January 12th, like right after the schedules got released. And and but here here's I, I so I have them losing two non-conference games and then going eight and one in conference. So people can call me like pessimistic because of losing to Georgia and BYU. But like, come on. I mean eight and well, but the non-conference people say starting the day and landing era, zero and two or one and two or whatever it is. Like people will be like, well, "That's that's a little pessimistic." But I have them then rattling off like eight out of nine in conference, which is I think rather optimistic. Um, so I think not, I mean, and, and and honestly, like I really think not eight and four probably is more likely if they do lose two non-conference games because asking any team to go eight and one is really special. And as yeah. we've seen in the Pac-12, like. And I'm not I'm not under the impression the Pac-12 is taking a massive step up and is suddenly going to be really really competitive nationally. But like, I think the league's slightly better than it was last year, at least figures to be. And I have a really hard time on a podcast now predicting a win over Utah just because of the way those two games went down. So there's my default third loss. Um, and if I was to pick a fourth, I think it's hard to actually like. I feel good on paper about all of these games other than the Utah game, just based upon where the game is played and kind of how I project the other teams to be. But like, again, like it seems like it's really hard to run through this unscathed and it's a long conference season and to predict they're not going to lose two games. I don't know. So I, I said nine and three back then, I think eight and four, nine and three to me feels probably most realistic. And as Matt said, maybe things really go well and maybe they do, they do beat, BYU and they are 10 and two, but like, I think that's like, that's going to take a lot to get there. Like, and I, I hope mm -hmm. fans are like understanding of that too, of like, remember Chip Kelly's first year. I know they ended up going to the Rose bowl and I'm not predicting, they could still do that this year. Like it could happen, but like, it takes time for these programs to work out with new coaches. Like it's not instantaneous. And I just hope there's a little bit of a grace period here and an understanding that like, if they aren't, actually in the call you know because if they were to lose to georgia and byu out of the gate they're out of the college football playoff discussion like in the month of september and that would rub people the wrong way and i hope that doesn't like alter the sense of what dan lanning's trying to do here because this was never going to be make the college football playoff immediately kind of deal i don't think so i think it's important to have that kind of understanding going into it so um there's a long-winded way of me saying i think like Kind of similar to Matt of eight and four, nine and three, ten and two if everything breaks right, and that would be pretty special, actually. I think if that happens personally, if, ten, if, ten, if they win ten wins, I hope fans are rejoicing and that there's not as much negativity as there was this last year when there were ten wins. All right, um, final final one from at Quack Attack seventy four. I know it's possible with the staff landing assembled, 
But do you think it's realistic to land three to six five stars in the 2023 recruiting class? Or is that too much wishful thinking? Hashtag odds and audibles. Uh, I'm going to toss this to Matt, our recruiting guy. But I will say, like, I, I know Oregon is, like, in decent position for a number of five stars. But finishing is going to take a lot, right, Matt? Like, I, three to six seems – like, six feels really high. Three feels maybe semi-attainable, but that would also be the school record for five stars in Dan Lanning's first class. And so I don't know if that's really – like, that seems like a lot too. Yeah, I, I broke up. I had some lack of internet um, during that question, but I know what the question was. But, yes, six is, like, an insane amount. It's unreal, unrealistic to, to expect six. I think it's unrealistic – Maybe not unrealistic. I mean, it would be like the most opportunistic, best case scenario, I think, where Oregon lands three to four in this class. I mean, I, I know that the, the, there's a couple of guys out west that are really high on them. Wayne, um, Jalen Wayne, a defensive lineman from Washington. Nico, um, the quarterback, a top five player in the country, you know, they're already kind of in a good in a good place there, but we're eight months away from signing day, nine months away from signing day, and yeah. a lot can change in nine months. I mean, let's just go back to the last question. Let's say Jared's scenario plays out, and and Oregon's eight and four. Is that going to be the confidence? And and their offense struggles. Is that going to be the confidence that? Nico wants to see like that's been their biggest reservation with Oregon is the offense. What's it going to look like? What's the development going to look like? Um, I I do expect them to to land a five star. It wouldn't surprise me to if they landed two of them. Um, I just think three is really stretching it, and four becomes almost like now we're just living. And, and I'm not trying to to bag the, the person that asked the question, but anything above three feels like now we're just living in fantasy land. Like maybe maybe that changes if they come out and they they kill the recruiting trail in the summertime and they're they've got a bunch of momentum. They go and beat Georgia and they only lose one game all season and they're in that college football playoff discussion until the very end or even get into it. Um, then maybe things change there, but that just doesn't seem re- like a realistic way the season plays out and. If you asked me this question maybe in two years, I could maybe say, yeah, they might be able to land four four or five stars if they have some success and the staff is still here. Yeah, you reacted really strongly to the question, so I, I'm curious on your take. Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's outlandish. So you have to kind of remember that Oregon is not just recruiting by themselves. Um, they have other schools to go against, and on yeah. the West Coast and then the entire rest of the country. Um, here's so let's see Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia brought in 15 combined five stars last year. That's half. It's half of all the five stars in the country went to three schools. So now you're going to go and go against another 140 football programs in the country for the next 15 players. It's hard. Uh, Texas A&M landed the greatest recruiting class ever on paper with 24/7 Sports this past recruiting cycle with seven five stars. So three to six, six being at the higher end, no, it's not happening. It, it doesn't happen, essentially. You have to have the best recruiting class of all time on paper to get anywhere close to seven or six recruits. 
Um, I think it's possible for Oregon to land two. I don't, or, or even three at one point, and you just saw that a couple of years ago with Sewell, Flo, and Manning. That's, but again, like Eric said, that's the school record for five stars in a class. Now, Dan Lanning has done an excellent job of hiring a staff that is made for recruiting. If there's a class, or if there's a if there's a really stacked class, like there might be in 2023 with West Coast recruits, they've done their job in hiring the people who could potentially go and get them, but. So have all the other big time programs, not necessarily on the West Coast. But now you have to recruit with USC, who is reloaded. And again, we'll see how they do in the football field. That's a completely different discussion. But similar to Oregon staff, they know how to recruit. And we don't know what's coming on the football field for Oregon either. We still have to go through this next upcoming season. But it is, it's extremely difficult to get there. And we saw you know, Mario Cristobal and his staff which was another really good recruiting staff. And Cristobal at the helm is, a, is an excellent recruiter in his own right. You know, they're going to struggle too. And every year, you know, you'd see USC get a, a five-star or two five-stars. And they were, they didn't have good showings on the football field. They're just USC. And at the same time with Dan Lanning's connections in the South, they Oregon will be in a lot of top eights, a lot of top tens, a lot of top fours even for these big-time recruits. But you still have to go against Georgia and Bama and AM and LSU and Florida and all of these other major programs, Miami now too. It's going to be extremely, extremely difficult to land more than three five-stars in a class. I think it's going to be really difficult to land more than two five-stars in a class. But you know, that's not saying that Oregon can't go out there and land a top 10 class almost every single year. I still think they could do that. It's just in terms of getting that many five-star product prospects, I think it's almost unachievable. Yeah, I hope it doesn't come across as too pessimistic, but just the basic math right now in the 247 Sports composite, there are 38 five-star recruits. Six are already committed. Let's just say those guys are strong in their commitments, which obviously it's no sure thing. People decommit and flip. Right. That's 32 players. And so you're basically suggesting Oregon's going to land 20% of the available five-stars, which is to get – if you're going to sign six, which is just not realistic. I I think I – think I think they will sign at least one five-star in this class. That would be a prediction. And I think I think three feels like that could happen. But anything more than that really feels, like Jared said, kind of outlandish and probably not even remotely realistic. So um, I, I think the ceiling is probably not even six five-stars in a cycle, to be totally honest, like in a couple of years, even if everything – if, if everything's even really humming, and let's say let's say like best case, and Oregon's winning conference championships, and and playing in national semifinals, maybe even like if they yeah. get back to the playoff, I even think then like five or six five stars is like that's a, that's a really big it's number. So many, so many. Yeah, and I, and again, and, I hope that, I hope there's perspective on that. Like if that doesn't happen, it's still okay because like Jared said, I think we all think this can be top eight, top 10, top five, maybe classes on a semi-regular basis, but five yeah, and six. Of course. I mean, Oregon's best class ever, their class of 2021, didn't have a single five-star. So you don't necessarily need them to have these elite classes. It obviously it helps, don't get me wrong, but Oregon can still put together really good classes with one five-star or two five-stars, whatever the case may be. It's, you know, it's, it's extremely difficult. Eric just went through some of the numbers um, it's, it's hard, man. It's hard to get a five-star recruit because they're, you know, it's the big fish in the massive ocean. You're, 
it's it's hard to get them, um, and they don't they don't necessarily need them to have some type of all star class. So, I, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm just saying Oregon could continue to recruit at an elite level nationally without needing three or four or five five stars. It, I I think the only scenario that it would happen is if the state of Oregon had one or two. Mm, yeah. And it's a good point. And then, it, and, and when has that happened? I mean, I don't think it has. I mean, they've had one multiple times. I don't think they've ever had two in the state. Have they in the same I class? Don't, I don't think so. Yeah. They, they would need to have at least one in the state of Oregon. The state of Washington would need to have probably two or three and you get two of those guys. And then mm-hmm. California would probably would probably need to have six or seven so that you could get one or two of those. And then now you're halfway there, a little over halfway, and then you go get the random, the Dante Manning five star or um, you know the Kingsley from Utah. Um, those are the ones that that maybe put you over the top into a category where we're talking about six in one season. But that just we just spelled out a scenario that has never happened before. Um, and it's, it's just the logistics of where the recruits are and how many programs like Jared showed are going after all of them. And I, I think the, the, to end it here, I think the baseline and you guys can tell me if you should agree or disagree should be every year. Oregon's goal should be to get one. And if it's a real good year, when you have two, it's a special year when you have three, but you should always have at least one. I, and I think one feels semi-attainable this year, looking at some of the names. You've already mentioned a couple. I think um, – I'm not sure if he's a five-star in the composite, but Elijah Rushing out of Arizona is a kid. Oregon's in good shape with his brother's a walk, a, a recruited walk-on at Oregon, so maybe they have – like the path to three this year would maybe be Amalave, Wayne, and Rushing, but like I feel like – getting all three of those guys, everything has to break right. And so, but getting one feels semi-attainable most years because I think out of, let's say it is 36 to 45 stars, it kind of varies depending on how special the year is. Should be a dozen or so that are in Oregon's recruiting footprint. And so Oregon Mm -hmm. should be able to at least land one out of a dozen or so um, in my mind. Yeah, 100%. I think one is certainly attainable every year. Um, two on good years, like Matt mentioned, like you know, Washington has had a lot of success in terms of their uh, you know producing recruits out of that state with like two or three five stars the last couple of years. Um, that's in their footprint. And Northern California, every once in a while, can put one out there. Southern California always, but um, they'll always be in contention for one. And I think getting one at, one at least every year should be should be the goal going forward. So I agree, Matt. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening or watching the show on YouTube. We'll be back later this week for another show. Um, next up, we'll be previewing the men's Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas, um, hoping that the men have a better showing than the women, but I don't even know if that's going to be possible. So we'll, we'll have to find out. Uh, until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.